Okay, um, we're going to continue on in our Advent series. Today we're looking at peace. We're looking at peace. And one thing, um, along with last week that I mentioned, that I really want to accomplish is to walk through these common themes, these traditional themes of Advent, like hope and uh, peace and um, joy and love, and walk through them and try to maybe bring a fresh look at them and more of a reminder maybe of what the Bible actually has to say about these themes. Because oftentimes during this year, these, these themes are thrown out a lot in songs we see in places, and I want to make sure that we are seeing these themes through a biblical lens. And I think it will actually help us prepare for this, this 2020 Advent that we have, have uh, that's upon us, right? Like last week I mentioned that maybe more than, more than ever in my lifetime that we are longing for Jesus' peace and hope and, and, and to come on this earth because this year has shown us we need it, especially in, in, like in our country. Other places in the world maybe are, are come up against this stuff more often and are, and are waiting and longing with desperation for Jesus to return. And I think we've gotten a little taste of that in 2020. And I think God wants us to, to take the, the anxiety and the fear and the pain and the, the unknown of this year and go to him and cry out and, 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 and long and beg him to come back, that we would see his second advent. So maybe more than ever this advent season, there's a chance for us to truly... Um, want Jesus to come back at a level we've never experienced before. So here's my fear when we talk about peace, and I mentioned this last week with hope, is that we, when we think of peace um, and think just the normal way it's used, I think it's, it's dangerous because at worst it's a version that is sanitized, that lacks power, kind of goes on a Hallmark card, and we just kind of leave it there. Or at, at best, it's incomplete, and it's not what the Bible actually teaches in its fullness about peace. John 14, 27, this is Jesus speaking to his followers, speaking to us through the scriptures, right before um, he was to go to um, the cross. And he says this about peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A few things are going on here, right? He's saying, I'm giving you the peace. So he is the source of our peace. He, he's saying, I'm giving this to you. And then he's saying, but it's not what you expect. He's saying, it's not the kind the world gives. It's not the kind you're used to. I'm offering a, a better peace, a different peace. And then that last line, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he's connecting it that... It, because of this peace I'm giving you is different. It's from me. It's my peace. Therefore, you can, you can use it to not let your hearts be troubled. You can remember it. You can apply it to your life, and it'll help you not be afraid. This is why Jesus is giving us this peace. So if I asked you right now like to define peace for me, what would you say? Which asks you, what, what would you to say if, if I asked you to define peace? And we, we know we want it, right? This is a human problem. Like, all humanity wants peace. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Like, I am guessing at some, at least deep, deep down in your soul, you want peace of some sort. You want it. This is a human thing we all crave. But for most of us, 
we're not experiencing it to the degree we would like to. Maybe in spots you experience it. Maybe when your circumstances are, everything's good, kind of outside of you, you experience it. But do you truly experience this kind of peace that Jesus gives you that works from the inside out? Not circumstances defining your peace, but actually your peace that comes from within actually being, allows you to navigate your circumstances in this life. So there are three things, um, these three things I want to hit on today. This is the outline, really. It's Number one, what is the peace the Bible refers to? I want to look at it. I want to really help us be clear on how the Bible speaks about peace. Number two, how conflict is involved with peace. I don't think we think about conflict when we think, we think those things being opposite of one another, but those two things are linked in the scriptures, and I want, to, I want to look at that. And the last one, how do these two things come together in Advent and what we look at today? So let's look at Numbers 6, 24 through 26. This is one of those passages that's a really good definer of peace, and I'll explain it here in a second, but let's just read this. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is a a passage we use um, in the benediction at the end of our services a lot. This is Aaron, this is referred to in the scriptures often as the the blessing of Aaron. This is Aaron speaking over the people of, of Israel, speaking the words of God over them. And it's saying the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. These are blessings that he wants the people of Israel to know that they have. And then lastly, he says in verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So what is this peace that he gives us? Like how does the Bible define, especially the Old Testament, define it? Well, it's this word shalom, right? The word shalom is the word for peace. And it's this full word that that, that it's, it's hard to even define it, but it's much broader fuller than the definition we typically have of peace. Um, There's actually a positive connotation to it. And if you think about how we define peace oftentimes, we immediately run to the lack of conflict or the lack of fighting or in, in, in geopolitical world, the lack of war, right? But that's true. That's a part of peace. But there's also a positive side of peace. Like what is positive that's coming from peace? And Shalom gets at that. It's this, it's this wholeness. It's the fullness. It's, it's the way things ought to be. You think uh, Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden, a sinless world, right? Everything is in harmony. Everything's good. You can see the blessing of God clearly on everything. This is what peace is according to the Old Testament or this idea of shalom. So this peace that the Bible talks about isn't, hey, I, I hope you don't get into trouble or I hope you don't have conflict. No, it's, it's not that. It's I, I wish you that your life would be uh, full, would be whole, as the Bible defines it in Genesis 1 and 2. We'll get into more, and you'll see this as we get more into um, our time today. Um, so what kind of peace is this, right? What kind of peace is this? So when, when, the, when we think of the Christmas story, when we think of Advent, the time, that, and, and they were, they were in, in, in the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they were talking about the coming of this baby, coming of the Savior. We see a lot of those. We read it this morning, right? We see um, in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 9 there, like, right, when, when he's talking about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And the, the audience that would have received that, heard that, they were in a dark, dark place. And there was 400 years, we know, um, 
between the last, at least in the scriptures, God revealing himself to his people and the birth of Jesus. There was some dark, it's a dark period of time in the history of God's people. So this is, this is how Jesus is coming into their world. So as best as we can, we need to put ourselves in their shoes when it comes to peace. And I think we all get this from an individual standpoint. Like if you think of fear, anxiety, sadness, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, holding on to grudges. These are all things we wrestle and struggle with, and these are barriers and things that get in the way of our peace. So you have the peace out there, but you also have the peace inside that we're dealing with. If we had to be really honest, there are some dark places in our life. There are some places where we need the, the peaceful light of God to shone in our hearts. So what's the answer? Right? What's the answer if this is the case? Right? Like how, how do we get what we need from this idea of peace? Well, it's not found in the normal kind of nostalgia that we hear during this season. And listen to the lyrics of, of this song, um, just three lines of it, but we'll, we all know this song. We sing it during this time. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. Sounds great, right? Like, sounds great to sing that, and there's a lot of nostalgia behind it, maybe some pleasant memories. Um, but what does that actually mean? Like, can that, like, are we just going to, like, have this merry little Christmas and then our troubles are just going to go away. Like, we all know that that's, that's not what happens during Christmas. Now, we may try to mask some of these things during Christmas time with consumption or, like I said, nostalgia or trying to just getting through this on, on pleasant memories from time with family. And I'm not, I'm not dogging on these things because they're bad, and I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to this song, but we, when we think about these things, we just need to understand that they're, they're not deep enough. They're not going as deep as the scriptures want, to, to, to want us to go. And if we have these feelings of peace that we get from a song like this or some other places, they'll probably be gone by February. I think a lot of us know, like, we love the Christmas season. I know I've experienced this, but by, like, first two weeks of January, I'm like, okay, it's over. Like, we're moving on. You know, next year will be 2021. Here, here it comes, right? Like, these, these feelings often don't stick with us because we're not meditating and understanding um, the deep um, offer of peace the scriptures have for us. So we need something more. We need something more than this. We need something that transcends humanity's best tries at peace, right? Because thousands of years, just look at history, like we, there's always been conflict. There always will be conflict. As much as we want peace to happen all over the world and between human to human, we are always going to be wrestling with the lack of peace. And the solutions are, there's no solutions. Like they're too big for humanity. We can't do it ourselves. We need something from the outside to come into our world to help us have peace. So that's number one, right? That's, that's kind of the overview of biblical peace. Now, number two, part of peace, part of it coming, and we see this in the scriptures, um, is the absence of conflict. That is true. But we often have to go through conflict to get peace. Often those things are connected in the scriptures. This happens in our everyday life as well. Think of, just think of movies, right? These really good stories. You think of, say, Lord of the Rings, right? I'm trying to find one that maybe a lot of us know. Um, imagine if this was like the plot to Lord of the Rings. Like there's these, these guys named hobbits, and they live like in this really peaceful world. It's beautiful. It's great. 
and they stumble across this ring, and they need to throw this ring in a, in a fiery lake, so they grab some other guys that aren't really like them, maybe don't, they don't agree on everything, but they, they join as a team, and they go and throw the ring um, in the fire, and, it's, and then everyone lives happily ever after, and there's just a lot of peace now. Like, wait a minute, like that, that, that just, that, nobody wants to watch that movie, right? Like nobody wants to, there's no, there's nothing that brings you in. There's no conflict. There's no, there's no trial that they have to go through to get to the, the lake to throw it in. And, and why even they have to do that, right? So you pull conflict out of that story, it becomes sanitized. It becomes weak. Like, I don't want to watch that movie, right? You think of also every romantic comedy that ever has been created, right? Like guy and girl see each other. They maybe fall in love. They like each other. And um, then uh, some time goes by, and then they fall deeper in love, and they get married, and the, everyone lives happily ever after. Like, that, that's boring, right? There's, like, there's nothing, there's no conflict. There's, there's nothing in that to watch, right? So we get this in our stories we listen to, that there has to be some conflict to make the peace, uh, you appreciate the peace more when there's conflict that you have to go through to get to those points. Let's listen to this passage here. I always hear this passage and I think about peace on Christmas, Matthew 10, 34 through 39. So think of, you know, you're thinking of peace here, Jesus bringing his peace this Advent season. Jesus says this, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. What, Jesus? Right? I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. Now, wait a minute. Like, what are you talking about? I thought this was, this was peace, right? All about peace. There's verse 35, for I've come to set a man against his father and daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be, the, will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, okay, what do we do with this, right? This is one of those passages, it's, when I start thinking of peace, it's like, well, Jesus, what, what am I supposed to do with this passage? Well, here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get our attention. He's laying claim, his rightful claim as king on our hearts, on our allegiances. He's saying, as king, I'm coming into the world and I'm demanding that you follow me. This is part of the deal, right? He's a, he's a benevolent, loving king, but he calls us to follow him. He calls us into relationship with him. And so when he says, I'm bringing a sword, not peace, what he's saying is this sword will end up cutting through families because some will have allegiance to Jesus and some will not. Some will think allegiance, allegiance to Jesus is foolish and some will worship Jesus and go all in and, and have their allegiance fully lined up with the king. And so those who are aligned with the king and have allegiance to the king and those who don't, the, those people don't get along. We've seen enough stories to know that. He comes with beauty and supremacy and authority and love, and he lames claim on our hearts saying, I want your full worship. I want your full allegiance. I want all of you. And this is why in verse 39, we, we like to quote this verse in places, but whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he uses the family dynamic here, but he's, he's talking about any allegiances that come in the places. him. He uses the strongest one that we have, our family, to make a point here. But this could be your job. This could be money. This could be your appearance. This could be your ambition to climb whatever ladder you're wanting to climb that adds value to your life. Like these are the allegiances that Jesus is saying, it doesn't come before me. And that will bring conflict. 
that will bring violence to some degree. Sometimes it's really physical violence. We see this in other places in the world for sure, but oftentimes this is just relational strife because one person follows Jesus and one person doesn't. Jesus is trying to disrupt all human allegiances that don't put him first. And on, Genesis, on this side of Genesis 1 and 2, we get Genesis 1 and 2, and then we get Genesis 3, right? Sin comes into the world, and you don't get peace without conflict after Genesis 3. We see this all throughout their scriptures. It just doesn't happen. And the Bible's comfortable with this tension. It may make us feel uncomfortable, but the Bible's comfortable because we see Jesus just do this teaching, but then Luke 2, 14, this verse, we, we see this time here, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Right? So there's so obviously, there, Jesus brings some element of peace, and he, there's a there's a little line there at the end that we don't often quote during this time of year, but among those whom he is pleased. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that here in a second. So when we think of Jesus bringing us peace this Advent season, we need to remember conflict. We need to remember that conflict and peace go together. And here's where these two things meet in Advent. Here's where they meet in Advent. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. This is often read on Good Friday but it's a good reminder for us because this is, this is 30 years after the little baby that we celebrate. This is what would happen 30 years after he was born. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus was the most innocent man who ever lived. He was perfect. He was God. But was publicly shamed, tortured, and executed in one of the most horrific ways a human being could be executed. Reserved only at that time for the worst of the worst criminals. So it is through suffering that we get what we get in the gospel. It's through violence done to him we get peace. And we know there'll come a day when the world, and it's come in some parts of the world, but there'll come a day when the world will hate Christians, will hate Christians for what they believe, for what they stand for. Again, it's arrived in many parts of the world. We see this. 11 of the 12 disciples were murdered for their faith. The one who wasn't murdered was sent off to an island to die alone. There will be a conflict when Jesus returns in the second advent because he will return as king. When the Bible says he will judge everything, he will judge the world. He'll bring eternal peace, but for that to happen, there must be conflict. There must be judgment on his end. And you'll notice the thread throughout the scriptures in, in conflict and in, in, in when uh, Jesus is one, always the one to take the punches. Even in the Old Testament, they are pointing to Jesus when there is conflict. He's always the one to take the punches. He's always the one to absorb the blows. He takes the shame. He takes the death. He takes the wrath of God upon himself for those who would believe. This is Jesus. This is how Jesus brings peace to the world. He brings it through conflict. Again, Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This verse we see... That, P, that this peace is exclusive. This peace is exclusive because he, said, he makes it exclusive when he says, with whom he is pleased. Okay, so he's saying this peace isn't necessarily for all, but with those whom he is pleased. 
So the question this begs is, how does one become pleasing to God? We should say, hey, I want that, right? I want this peace. I want the peace that we're talking about. Well, how, how does this work? Romans 5, 8 through 11. Let's read this. This shows us. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we saved, be saved by him from the wrath of God. We've, just, we've been justified because Jesus takes God's wrath upon himself. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And a part of reconciliation in relationship is peace. Right? If you're reconciled to someone who you weren't um, friends with or you were enemies with or you had conflict with, part of that reconciliation is peace. There is now peace between us and God because of the work of Jesus. And we get that by having faith, by trusting in Jesus. Right? That's how we receive this peace. So when we start thinking about how does this work itself out, the, the New Testament um, talks about two kinds of peace. Right? There's the peace that, um, that, that Jesus secures for us between man and God. Right? This, is, this has been done. Jesus says it is finished. For those who have faith and belief, it is finished. You have a relationship with God now. He calls you son or daughter. You have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. You are in the family, and nothing can separate you from the love of God, the scriptures tell us. That's number one. The second way that this peace or shalom gets worked out is through our experience, through our experience, how we actually experience life. And this is often subjective, right? This is how, how do we, do we have anxiety? Do we have, are we overly fearful at things? Are we bitter? Are we angry? Like, we can still be a Christian and not be applying the grace that we received in God to our normal, everyday lives as we experience these things. Here's a quote from a, a commentator about the second kind of way shalom gets worked out. This is the kind of peace uh, men really want. Men and women there, he says men. They want a peace that deals with the past. One where no strings of conscience dipped in the poison of past sins tear at them and torture them hour by hour. Just talking about our baggage that we all have. They want a peace that governs the present with no unsatisfied desires gnawing at their hearts. They want a peace that holds promise for the future where no foreboding of fear of the unknown and dark tomorrow threatens them. And that is exactly the peace through which the guilt of the past is forgiven, by which the trials of the present are overcome and which our destiny in the future is secured eternally. That's what he's saying here. This is what we want. This is what all human beings want. And we have it because we are in relationship with God, those of us who have put our faith in that. But oftentimes, taking that truth, taking our new identity, and applying it to our everyday life is difficult, right? That's, that's the work, as long as we're alive, we're going to be about. It's called sanctification. It's called growing up in our faith. I want to read John 14, 27 again. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This peace that Jesus gives enables followers of Jesus to be able to face the most fearful circumstances that we'll ever face in this life. It helps us fight and battle the anxieties and the fears and the bitterness and the anger and the, and the, the, the unforgiveness we have towards other people. So this is what 
the gospel brings us. This is what the person and work in Jesus makes available, the peace that he is offering us. Now, here's the problem. Most of us are too stubborn to receive that, right? One of the things that Jesus says, I haven't come to, to, to bring healing to the, the well. I've come to bring healing to the sick, which means under, understood in that is that you have to admit you're sick. You have to know that you, there's a need inside of you to receive the healing. And this is for some of us who consider ourselves Christian in here. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and act like this is up to us. That we have to fight for that peace somehow. We have to grab at that peace. We have to do certain things so God will bring this peace into our life. And, and Jesus says no. Like you have that, you have access to that because of the work he has already done. He has completed it um, during his time on earth. And so especially during this time of year, I don't want us to look for peace in things outside of Jesus. I want to I want, I want to challenge you all to look first to Jesus for that peace, for that shalom where everything feels right. And I'm not just talking about this this feeling of experience. I'm just talking about there's a tranquility inside of you. There's a no matter what's going on in my life around me, there's this contentment. There's a stillness. There's a peace that we all want. So uh, practical things here, three things and I'm going to finish. So what's so what can we do leaving here? Well, the first two things just involve belief, and we've already talked about it. Number one, believe that you have peace through God, with God through the gospel. That's number one. Like, if you're a Christian in here, like, that's, that's 101, right? Like, we have got to believe, and you've got to hope in that. You've got to have confidence that Romans 5, what we, what we read, is true. And what we talked about last week, like, why, if God sent his own son on your behalf, why would he not graciously give you all things? You have it. You have the grace and mercy. You have the resources to have peace in your life. Now, number two is believing that you can experience peace because of the first one. Right? So if you're disconnecting how to fight your fear or how to fight your anger or anxiety, if you're disconnecting that from the first one, the fact that you're a forgiven child of God, there's a disconnect there. The first one talks directly goes with the second one. So if you're trying to do all these other things to get peace, stop and look back to Jesus. Now, there's more to it than that, but that's the place to start. There may be counseling involved for you. There may be medication involved for you. There may be a lot of work that you have to do with biblical community. But the beginning of that is trusting that you're a child of God. That's the foundation for all of this. And number three is, um, well, I'm going to read a quote real quick from... um, John Piper, he quotes on, on Romans 15, 13 here. He says, the key that unlocks the treasure chest of God's peace is faith in the promises of God. And here's the, the verse that he's referring to there. It says, may the God of hope, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Right? So Paul there is connecting belief to having um, peace and having joy in this passage. So number three here, so believe those first two things. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit through prayer to give it to you and never stop asking. Galatians 5 tells us that peace is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So the source of our peace will come through the Holy Spirit, right? So that puts on us the onus to pray, to ask for it, to trust that the Spirit wants to give us peace. It's a fruit. It comes from him. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, many of you know this passage, but listen to who's the giver of this and how we get this. Do not be anxious about anything. That's the command, right? But in everything, how do we get it? 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God or let your requests be made known to God. It's prayer, it's talking to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to say, if you're struggling with peace in here this morning, just quoting this verse is probably not going to be enough, right? Just memorizing this verse is not going to be enough. But it is the source. You should memorize it and, 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 and preach it to yourself often if this is your struggle. And maybe you need other things as well. I'm not saying that this is like a formula that your, ma- your peace is magically going to go away. Our sin is too deep. We all have baggage. And that, that, that's where the work comes in. And, but I encourage you to go get help. Go do that work. Go f- talk to other people about it. But number one, believe the gospel. Believe that you have access to his grace and his mercy to work through this. And pray that the Holy Spirit would give you peace. I pray that all three of these things, we would be reminded of these things during the Advent season when we think and hear about this word peace. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that um, the Bible is so realistic in how it portrays peace. It's not this sanitized, watered-down version of peace that we can somehow... Um, just kind of talk ourselves into it, or if we do X, Y, and Z, we're going to magically have peace. That's not the way the Bible talks about peace. From Genesis 3 on, we see peace coming through conflict, peace coming through war, peace coming through fighting. We know there are, there are, there are uh, principalities and powers that we can't even see right now that are, that are warring and battling for our allegiance. The scriptures tell us that. So we know there's conflict but we trust and believe, and Jesus shows us that how conflict resulted in the ultimate peace we can seek and have. That Jesus lived, died, rose again for sinful human beings like all of us in this room. And he did that through conflict. There was violence there, but he brought us peace. Help us. Help us believe that. If we're followers of Jesus in here, help us believe that your spirit can give us peace when we need it. Help us fight. This is a fight. Some of us are going to be fighting with this for the rest of our lives. Help us fight. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.